Let me, uh, I'll start with prayer and then we'll, we'll talk about our process here. <clears throat> Lord God, how we thank you for your grace and mercy in Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for all of the historical circumstances that uh, brought about this uh, glorious letter that reveals so much of your eternal purpose and where this world is headed, what you're truly doing in this world and what part we play in it. Lord, we ourselves, because we belong to Christ, because of your purpose, have been caught up in uh, uh, something of cosmic proportions. And Lord, what you do with us is the preview of what you would do with all of creation. We thank you that you would include us sinners in this uh, glorious purpose. Lord, we didn't deserve to be a part of your story. We deserve to be cast off of the property, uh, to be in the outer darkness forever. And yet, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, though we were dead, you, because of your great love for us, raised us up and seated us with Christ so that instead of being in the outer darkness, you would spend eternity Revealing your kindness to us in Christ Jesus. How can it be? How can it be? Certainly, it is what Paul says in Ephesians 3. That we've come to know and we pray for the Spirit's power that we might know more of the unsearchable love of Christ. To be filled up to all the fullness of God. Lord, to that end, we pray that you would bless us as we dive into this rich book together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, keeping it simple, uh, next week I'll have a little material about authorship and all that kind of thing, but there's nothing that could lose listeners faster than (laughs) to talk about some of the details. But I'll hand that out uh, next week. But I wanted to pique your interest uh, by getting into the glory of this book right off the bat, okay? And that's why I want us to talk about the central message of Ephesians. Now, I've got this piece of paper that I've just scribbled and scribbled and scribbled. Pictures and uh, diagrams kind of in in some way I'm going to put it on the board. It's going to be bad mess. (laughs) But... I want to try to give you a little picture of what uh, is going on in in Ephesians, um, and especially to lay hold of this glorious uh, central message. Now, as I uh, said, um, as I said in worship, we're going to do some Q&A. So, after the introduction, or after the greeting, Paul first lays out, or praises, praises God. This whole first uh, section from 3 to 14 is basically a doxology. And in some way, the whole book is a doxology. Um, a, a hymn to unity, actually. One guy has called it a hymn to unity. Uh, and that might seem that it's not God-focused, but the unity he's talking about is the final unity of all of creation in Christ. That's the whole goal of this, uh, of God's purpose, and that's what Ephesians lays out. But he begins here in verse 3 
Uh, He's blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Now, I'm not going to draw that, but if you if you could, if you did draw it, you'd put us up here in the heavenlies. Okay, here's you and me, and you just have all these blessings. Like, you know, you you can't, and they're just we're in the middle of them because we're in the heavenlies. We've been caught up into the heavenlies, we'll find, and we have every single blessing, nothing is withheld from us. So that's in verse 3, is just the introduction to everything. But then where does he start? Anybody? Starting in verse 4, where would you say time-wise he begins in verse 4? For the foundation of the world, yes. So we could, let's call this... The foundation of the world. Okay. <laughs> and we're going to put several things over here that belong before the foundation of the world that we find in this first, first verses. Okay. So one is he chose us, right? In Christ Jesus, that we should be holy and blameless. Now, would somebody, uh, well, you all can, but would somebody, let's turn over to Ephesians 5 and let's get past verse 22, which is the ladies part. And let's get to verse 25, where it says that Christ gave himself up for the church. And then what does it say? So, uh, we're going to have to do little boxes and then erase them. So, he chose us to be holy and blameless. Then, what does it say in verses 25 through 27? The purpose of the final end in view of Christ's death. Yeah, he presents us blameless. Now, what's the time frame for presenting us Blameless, And then what are the other phrases there? Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, right? Sounds like now, right? No. <laughs> but it is a glorious future event, right? That we would be presented. I think of uh, the end of Jude where it says we will stand before him uh, with great joy, holy, before the holy God with great joy, indicating that we have no more sin at all. When we stand there first, just notice, of course, these have the same end in view. No surprise that if before the world, God chooses a people to be holy and blameless, what would Christ accomplish in his death, but in order to present them holy and blameless. But I think that the passage in chapter five helps us interpret the time frame of chapter one. You know, that's. A great principle in Scripture, compare Scripture with Scripture, try to figure it out as you see other passages that may be clearer. And I don't think they have no application. In in fact, we are being made holy and blameless, and it's a process that has its final end in view. So it doesn't leave out this life, but it gives a direction and a final accomplishment of Christ's, uh, of God's choosing and Christ's death. So... Uh, that's why I'm going to put this, we're going to have this, uh, 
here's kind of, this is the sweep of history, okay? <laughs> and this is uh, the end of history as we know it, okay? And the beginning of new creation. Now, he, Paul doesn't use that phrase in this exactly, but we'll... So I'm going to put here, uh, holy, blameless, how's our time? Um, I left out some of the history here. <laughs> All right, so he chose us, I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> the medieval decade, as we heard a few weeks ago. Um uh, <clears throat> So, he, he chose us in him that we should be holy and blameless. So, there's a sweep already going on. But uh, you'll notice then, he, he begins before time, and then he begins to talk about things that happen in time. What are some of those things? We could put them in this area right here. Re, 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 <laughs> Okay. In his blood, but I left out something. Adoption. And then I left out something else connected with adoption. Where does that go? Where does it go on this chart? Aha, yes. Okay, so here we go. Getting our chart filled out. What's a Bible study without a chart, right? (laughs) So, we've already got that He chose us. He predestined us to adoption. He chose us for being holy, to end up holy and blameless. We have redemption in His blood. And it talks about to the praise of His glory, uh, that we have been blessed in the the Beloved. We have this... uh, uh, grace, uh, you could you could put that here, right? He's blessed us with this grace in the beloved. But I'm, I mention all this because you get down to verses uh, after verse nine, redemption through His blood. The for- oh, I'm sorry, yeah, and forgiveness, of course. I've, I should have let you say that. I'm sorry. You were all thinking it though, weren't you? Yeah, thank you. I caught up with you. All right, forgiveness. Now, here's the interesting thing, and I'll, I'll confess that when I was early on, uh, way back in my 50s. No, this was earlier yet. <laughs> See, some of you think, oh. Um, but when I first looked at Ephesians in my early years, I, being a young Reformed brat, basically, uh, I really fixed on election, predestination, you know, those were just amazing things, even redemption and forgiveness. And then when it got down to what in the New American Standard, instead of the word plan, and this may be a better translation, but uh, it got, <laughs> the New American Standard got down to verse uh, 9 and 10 and said, uh, <clears throat> after after saying, lavished upon us, uh, making known to us the mystery, uh, mystery of his will. Okay, I don't, I don't want to think about mystery. I can't understand it. It's a mystery. So he began losing me there. And then, uh, according to his purpose, 
which he set forth in Christ as an administration for the fullness of time. And by then I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Let me get on to the next thing. Honestly, I really checked out about verse 9 and 10. And that was kind of a little parenthesis of, I'm not so sure what's happening there, but let's get on down to the Holy Spirit. I can get that now. He's he's uh, my... Uh, guarantee of the inheritance to come uh, and get on to verse 11. Here's another statement of predestination. So we can put two here. Um, Everything flows out of the counsel of God's will. And as a reformed brat, that was the thing I wanted to see more than anything else. You know, like this proves that it, God did choose and everything flows out of his sovereign will, which is true. But I left out the whole point of chapter one. Really? The whole point. There's this, this uh, infinitive this construction there uh, when, it, when it talks about, and I've, I've got it as the uh, central message there, um, to unite all things in Him. So, this goes, well, guess where I'm going to put it? <laughs> I was going to say, where do you put this? But the point of everything, the point of election, predestination, of redemption, adoption, grace, forgiveness, is to finally unite all things in Christ. And that's the central point of Ephesians. And everything flows from this. God is out for the final unity of all things. So what I left out is actually the point. Okay, so... All things united. In fact, this word means to sum up something. Uh, The only other time it's used, you may recall, in uh, not that the word is there, but this passage in Romans 13, where he lists the commandments. And he says, if there's any other commandment, it's summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? So all these commandments are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. That word summed up is the same word here. So, Jesus is going to sum up, you might say, all things. All things will be brought to a unity in Him. And when it says in Him, it doesn't mean that He's just the agent of it, like, by him, like he's going to do it, but he's the sphere, he's the focal point of this unity. He's the one who brings it about, but he's the center of this unity. So, it, the New Testament regards the creation, of course, as having been uh, ruptured and fractured. Human beings ruptured and fractured. And the whole point is. Final, this, this basically, you could put this word here, shalom. Let's say it together. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's forces and all the king's men could not put Humpty together again. Right? Shalom is when Humpty's put together again. All the fractured parts of the egg are made whole. That's what Paul says is the whole point of the world, of, of his purpose here. And when you get to verse 11, uh, how many, what, what's the, the key word that tells you how much 
of this world falls within its purpose. What does verse 11 say? All things. Yes. There's this word in Greek. Ponta, you know the word pan-American. You know, all the American. That, that, that word is used a lot. So, all things flow forth from his, his purpose. Um, and there, he kind of mounts word upon word. He, having predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Like layers of the will, the counsel of God, the purpose of God. And everything, this whole story is spilling out according to what he has planned to this final end of Shalom. It's, I can't figure this one out, and I've banged my head against the theological wall a long time with, but it's hard to figure out why God did all this. You're like, this is why he made the world, right? He made the world to reveal what a glorious God he is in the face of human rebellion and spiritual forces rebelling to glorify his name by showing that he is the great peacemaker. Through his death. I, I used to, you've heard me say this before, but some of you. And I struggled, I've struggled hugely about suffering and why sin is in the world and you know, I'd argue with God and say, uh, you know, if I put my children in the backyard, I'm not going to put a wild dog back there. But you put Satan in the garden, you know, those are, that's a quote. Okay? <laughs> you know, like, who are you? Why would you do that? And as we've said before, um, there, the, the, the perfect creation, in the perfect creation, there was a dragon in the garden. That was it. That, that's what God intended. And if we had, you know, chosen and submitted ourselves to God, we would have had great war against the dragon and demonstrated, you know, God in that way. But it is when I would, you know, argue with God and say, you know that I wouldn't allow sin to come into the world because I'm just so taken up with the suffering and ugliness of it. And I, don't, I wouldn't call this the voice of God, but it was just the thought that struck me and Maybe it was by the Holy Spirit, I don't know, but I bet you wouldn't have planned your own suffering either, would you? No. <laughs> but that's where he just goes off the charts. You can't, you can't chart this guy. You can't figure him out. He doesn't fit in any category. Like, I planned this creation so that I would enter into infinite suffering in this creation. What? Who are you? And I ask that in a good sense, you know, like, wow, you just go out the church and your glory and your majesty and how you would lay yourself out for our good when we turned our back upon you. And you would work in your purpose as you created the world to sum up all things and Jesus Christ would be the focal point. Now, why is Christ the focal point? As Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. In that sense, brothers and sisters, remember, when you see Jesus down on the cross, you're seeing the Father down on the cross. I don't mean literally, but that's exactly what the Father would do. Right? It's exactly what the Father would do. It's exactly what... He's expressing the Father's love. When you see me acting on your behalf, you're seeing the Father's love revealed. So, for this to be focused upon Christ, it seems 
amazing because he is the God-man. And, but as the God-man, he most manifests the majesty and glory of the God who would take upon himself flesh and show himself to us. You see? It's really as the God-man that without that we couldn't have seen how glorious this God is. I just, I don't know what to do with it, you know. I just, <laughs> um, that's why we need to be in awe, you know, more and more. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> I lost my, tr- oh, I didn't really lose it. I just got taken up with it. <laughs> All right, so, now I want us to see how things roll out in this regard in, in just the first three chapters. Now, what you've got in Ephesians is uh, 1 through 3 uh, and 4 through 6. Pretty big division. And we'll see where 3, this is really interesting, 3, 9, and 10 is kind of a recapitulation of our passage 1, 9 through 10. And then after this, you've just got this glorious prayer of Paul. I pray that you might know the love of Christ now to him who's able to do beyond all we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, verses 20 and 21. But that, that's kind of the final glorious flare. But this, this uh, right here is, is really a part of the structure, which we're going to see. It's, it's just fascinating. And this is where we'll see our place in this drama, which is cosmic. It's just cosmic. Sound like I'm from the 60s, don't I? <laughs> it's cosmic, man. <laughs> so, <clears throat> the next section in verse uh, 15, <clears throat> he, start, he begins this prayer for you. And notice his, his prayer is focused on the riches. So, you might say that, uh, here again, we need a little box, but 15 and following is really an exposition, again, of 1-3. Think of that, okay? All the blessings in the heavenly places. And then he says, I pray that you might know these things that you have. You see? So these are part of the blessings in the heavenly places. I pray that uh, you might have wisdom and, and, and insight, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, uh, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. So he... he has many different metaphors for having open, you know, to perceive and to know, uh, to be convinced of these things. That you may know, one, what is the hope to which he has called you. Where does that go in our chart? Hope. Yeah, this way. This is the hope. Oh, by the way, I left out a word. What's a word that belongs over here in verse 11? Inheritance. And where does it repeat? A few verses down, right? Talks about the Holy Spirit as the guarantee of your inheritance. So I'm going to put a little two here. We've already got two inheritances. And of course, we've got to add in here the Holy Spirit as the guarantee. So notice, God doesn't just... He wants you to have this hope. He wants you to know and be guaranteed in your heart of the hope and the inheritance. 
He's not satisfied just to say it's yours. I want you to know it's yours. I want you to feel it's yours. I want you to know the power and the freedom and the, uh, the, the, to, to give yourself away because you're so convinced of this inheritance and hope. So the hope and then the riches of his glorious inheritance. So we have to change this to a three. <laughs> and then, you know, he, he piles word, the riches, the glory of this inheritance. I don't want you just to know that you've got an inheritance. I want you to know the riches of it. You know, that if you, how would you feel if someone came up to you and said, you know, I just really care about you and I'm going to give you this dollar. Thank you? <laughs> what? Versus uh, the guy that used to, the program back in the, probably now it would be $10 million, you know, knocks on your door and he says, there's this rich, benevolent guy and he just randomly picks people. He's giving you $10 million. The difference. That's the difference Paul is saying here. I don't want you just to know you've got the riches of your glorious inheritance. This is emotional, Right? This is freeing. This is exciting. This is an adventure. What? I've got glorious riches? <laughs> See, that's the feel here. Um, and I want you to know these things. And then, uh, then he really focuses, and this is an important word throughout the whole, the immeasurable greatness of his power. I don't want you just to know the power. <laughs> I want you to know the immeasurable power of God. And he uses this throughout the, the, uh, the letter to speak of God's empowering you to be a different person, right? Or to know the love of Christ or to do war against the evil forces in Ephesians 6. So this is an important term for Paul. But he roots it in the resurrection of Christ. And I, I think we, we talked about this, I think, in connection with some things in Colossians last spring. But... Uh, I, I'll never forget uh, an old war movie where this huge tank was coming into uh, the, the scene. And these guys are like shooting it with their rifles, you know, bing, 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 you know, bing, 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 doesn't do anything, you know. And the turret's over there, and then suddenly the turret goes, and I'm like, a little kid, get out of there! <laughs> and it fires, you know, just... It scared me to death as a kid. I still remember that turret turning, you know. But here's a good turret turning, okay? This turret that raised Christ from the dead took him from, I can't draw this, I need K here, but let's say this is the open tomb, all right? Took him from here and put him, as we're going to see here, uh, uh, above all things. In fact, the powers and everything that they're connected with is now just a footstool. He's using language from Psalm 110, language from Psalm 2, to talk about the majesty and the kingship of Christ. So he's at, his, at the right hand of the Father, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Now, here, I'm going to put this as these forces of evil that had been subjugated by the exaltation of Christ. He's above all of these powers. Now, back to our uh, verse 10, uh, it says, 
things in heaven, right? He's going to unite things in heaven and things on earth. The heavenly things have to do with the forces of evil that have rebelled against God and they've taken us with them. And the whole world, of course, is fractured, alienated, people hating people, ruining each other's lives over and over and over again. You know, we can't even measure all the uh, hatred and, and brokenness of this world. And this is what... He, he, he defeated these forces. He put them under his feet. And this is our hope, therefore, of this. Right? All things will be united in Christ. And I want you to know the power that's raised Christ from the dead. And he's exalted and put all the forces that could stop this from happening. They're just little footstills. They're just under his feet. They can't do anything. They're not sitting there with guns and, you know, we're going to go again. They're just like gone. Now, they're not gone in the sense that you don't fight against them because he gets to chapter six and he says, stand strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Because you're not fighting against flesh and blood. You're fighting against spiritual forces. And for you to go against those spiritual forces is like a guy walking out in his underwear against the whole army. You know, you can't even hope to do anything. Right. But you can, when you know this power uh, that is yours in Christ Jesus, and it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Now, let me get a little further into this in Ephesians chapter 2. Where would you put us in this chart, this chart in his, where would you put verses 1 through 3 of Ephesians 2? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Is there any mention of... Spiritual forces and you were following evil forces. They were at work in us. No innocence there. I mean, you're on one side. Somebody's working in your life one way or another. It's either God or someone else. That's that's the way Scripture looks at it. But where would we be on this chart? Down here. Yes. Okay. So. We're part of this whole thing. In fact, later in Ephesians uh, 5, I think it's verse 8, he says this. You were, somebody look over there and tell me what that says. I think it's Ephesians 5, 8. Does it say you were in the darkness? You were darkness. You, oh, so you think, oh, I'm, I'm a little bubble and all this darkness is right. No, I'm producing the darkness. Like Jesus says, it comes out of your heart, right? So I'm a part of the darkness. Yes, I'm in bondage to these evil forces. But in bondage to these evil forces, I become a part of this darkness and this evil. And it's pouring out of me too. We're bleeding sin, you know? I mean, humanity just bleeds sin. It's broken and lost and corrupt, headed for final judgment. That's all that's all the world is. It could be. Apart from Jesus Christ, it's going to take it in a totally different direction. It's going to bring it to a final unity in him. He'll be the focal point. So, here's a glorious part, right, of this chart. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, 4 and following. 
Where would you put us in verses 5, 6, and 7 of chapter 2? You've got to be looking at your Bible, you know. In the heavenly places? What? Do you know that it uses the same language? I did a little drawing of the, you know, starting with, starting with dead. Christ was dead. We're dead. That's where Ephesians 1, it talks about he was dead and he was raised. So the word raised. Now we've got also a made alive here. But then there's the raised. And then what's another similar word? We were what? Yeah, raised. But what happened after that? That happened to Jesus. Seated. Yeah. Seated. Now, he's seated at the right hand. And it doesn't say that about us, but it does say we're seated with him. In fact, all of these words... uh, made alive, had this little beginning word that basically means with, 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 okay? So we're caught up with him. So we get to move to a new neighborhood, (laughs) right? We move from there into the heavenlies. Now this reflects back to verse 3 of chapter 1, that all the blessings in the heavenlies are ours. And now you can say why, because that's where we are. Right? That's our territory. <laughs> that defensive back who was interviewed after an NFL game, he had knocked somebody out. It didn't hurt him bad, but I mean, well, in terms of an NFL, had knocked him out. So the interviewer says, What about that hit where you knocked that guy out? His only response was, He was in my territory. <laughs> <laughs> you know, now we've come in to the territory of God, the territory of Jesus. And you can just see the spatial movement that you're in a different place with different influences and different powers in your life, different possibilities and opportunities in your life, because this is your new world that you live in. And even when Scripture talks about the new man and the old man, he's really talking more in spatial terms, Paul is, than you think. But this is the old man and the old creation and the old world. And now I've become a part of the new creation, the new world that's in its infancy, or you might say it's in its uh, beginning form, but it's taking root. It's growing. More and more people are being added to it. We are growing within it, and it's all headed to here. And we're already a part of it, which is glorious, that we were here producing darkness. And now we're children of light, as he says, and we're part of the light. Now, here's an amazing, beautiful part that, of course, this is, this, us, the earthly part is the church, and the heavenly part is the powers. So when he divides those in verse uh, 110, it's not just a flourish, you know, to say things in heaven and things on earth. In other words, everything. It's not that. He's saying the heavenly things and the earthly things. The heavenly things, these these forces of evil. So the heavenlies, they've been reduced. And as part of their reduction, as part of their subjection, guess who breaks out of there? The church. 
So those are the things on earth that have begun their, uh, un- their new unity because this fracture and alienation now is more and more marked by love and unity. So you can see where we're headed. We're like, as I, I say in the last point, this is F.F. F. Bruce's phrase, and I love it. And I want to go ahead and say it now. We're the pilot program. We're the pilot program of all things being united in Christ. And you can see it in us. You can see it in the way we love each other. You can see it in the way we sacrifice for each other. See it in the way we forgive each other. We're the pilot program of the unity of Christ. And now, uh, chapter 2, this is verses 1 through 10, right? Where we're dead and we're raised to be with Christ. Then, I'm going to draw it like this. Jew and Gentile are really, they they stand for, in many ways, the alienation of the world, right? It's the great symbol in Paul of the utter alienation of humanity. And so, guess where he goes next in verses 11 following? He shows that Especially, and he's speaking to Gentiles. You Gentiles, verse, you can see there in verses 11 and following, you were alienated from God, you were cut off from God, you were far from the commonwealth of Israel. But now through the blood of Christ, he has made the two into one. And so this is really a part of this, you know. This is really a part of the old world and the old fractured and alienation. But now he says, Jew and Gentile have been brought together in a new unity. We have spent so much time in at least evangelicalism on verses 1 through 10. Rightly so. You were dead. You were raised with Christ. We forget about the rest of the chapter, which is about we've been brought together in one, in unity in Christ Jesus. And we all stand before Him uh, in the Holy Spirit. So this this part is uh, 2, 11 through, was it 22? Is that the end of, okay. Or 23? Okay. Don't, don't mind correcting me. It's okay. <laughs> Everybody says, I hate to tell them it's 23, but okay. Oh, it's 22. I thought I heard somebody say it's 23. Get rid of that Bible. Uh, it's... <laughs> <laughs> of course, there are no verses originally, so it doesn't really matter. But um, All right, now, we've got just enough time to talk about this, this last point. Uh, in, in, when he gets to chapter 3, he talks about his ministry and the mystery of, that's been revealed that Jew and Gentile are together. And I want you to look down. We're just going to skip down to the whole point of this. Verses three uh, uh, in chapter three, verse seven. I was made a minister of this gospel according to the gift of God's grace, which is given me by the work of His power. To me, though I'm the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things. Those are repeat words from our first one. Uh, chapter 1, 9, and 10, mystery and plan, 
so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So this new unity, this church now is shining down to the rulers in the heavenly places. They are seeing an aspect of the glory of God and a prefiguring of the final unity of the whole world in the church. That's our place in history, right? We now are shining light back into the darkness. This is in a sense to the uh, evil forces. It's like your time is up. Your time is up. You can't stop him gathering in his people and building this glorious unity that you hate and despise and tried to destroy. Aha, look, it's happening and it's continuing to spread. People are loving each other more and more. What are you going to do about it? You know, not. But that's just the sense, the feel of this, that they, they have become a footstool and God is moving forward with his plan to unite all things in Christ. And in the process, we are the pilot project. We are announcing to all the world that uh, the final unity is coming. And I'm just going to give now no surprise that when he gets to the practical part. So one through three uh, is kind of the laying of the foundation. And then he really gets down to it and says, all right, how are we going to work out those spiritual blessings? How are we going to work out that new unity? OK, in a practical ways like not being angry toward one another, or lying toward one another, being kind to one another, forgiving. He gets down to the details um, and especially in verses 1 through 6, uh, the word one is used seven times. There's one faith, one hope, one baptism. Unity. And then in verse 3, uh, he talks about the unity of the Spirit. It's something the Spirit has created. So, you see this? Like, kicks off saying, all right, let's talk about this unity that's been created in Christ Jesus. This unity to which we are headed. How does it show itself in practical ways in our lives? So in that way, you can see how this whole thing is a hymn of unity. A hymn of the unity God has created in chapters uh, 1 through 3. And then a hymn to the unity as it works itself out in our lives. Let me just give you one peek. (laughs) Which I'm working on a book that talks about this. So in Ephesians 5... Paul talks about the unity of a husband and a woman. And he talks about the unity they have that the two have now become one. And he says that's the symbol of the unity of Christ and his church. And so amazingly, and whether you're inside married, you've been married, haven't been married, marriage does stand as this thing that God has given We have suffered much in it. We've been hurt by it. It's hard. Even those of us that have, you know, good marriages, struggle, have arguments, you know, it's it's hard because of sin. But as the thing itself, this marriage, this unity, which is centered in the physical unity of the two people, that's the bond that's created. That marriage relationship is a cosmic symbol of the final peace of this world. Talk about a call. What a call to unity in your marriage, right? A call to 
peacemaking in your marriage, the forgiveness in your marriage, forbearance, honesty, openness. It, it has to do with the whole world, you know. And it has to do with our announcement to the dark powers that your time is up and Jesus has come. So the last question is uh, one that we can all ask um, and we, we could have some discussion on this, but what comes to mind? What, what, what does this, are there anything, is there anything that comes to mind of the obligations that this places upon us? Or maybe the hope that this places, the expectation that this places upon us as the people of God, as Fort Worth Presbyterian Church? Yes, let us pray. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I think, all right, Second Corinthians five seventeen. All things have become new. All things have become new. Yeah. Yes, it's a great, great point, yes. And that arrogance and discrimination happens even within the body of Christ, sadly. You know. But yeah, yeah, we, we, we were all here, and by grace we're here, you know. Uh, but this is where God found us. As you've heard me say, we were all found in the red light district, right? <laughs> Committing adultery with our idols. Um, anything else? For me, it gives hope uh, for Fort Worth Press. We've been through some difficult things recently. And uh, open confession of things before the, the church. And I've been through some hard things. Um, and historically, this is very different for us because we've been known as a church just full of rich peace and, you know, unity. But this gives me hope, right? That... This could only be for the purpose of deepening our unity, you know, and, and continuing to grow us and manifest His glory in our lives. Because that is His point. That is, that's where we're headed. And everything along the way is going that direction. Uh, I, think of it, I think of this holy and blameless much like uh, Romans 8 where he says, uh, He's predestined us to be conformed to the image of Christ. I think ultimately he's really talking about this because it says... Eventually, you'll be glorified. You'll fully bear His image. But certainly, it includes, you know, the continuing growth. So, our unity now is, is His project. Kept you too long. Let's pray. Sorry. Father, thank You for this view of Your glory, view of Your purpose in this world, and the view of where this world is headed uh, to as, as our Lord Jesus Christ, the great God-man who died for us, the lion and the lamb, to be the focal point for the final shalom, uh, the destruction of the powers, 
And Lord, the bringing of all things together in him, in the new creation. Thank you, Lord, for this encouragement in Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.